everybody. And yes, indeedy, it is Friday already. This week has flown right by and uh, hard to believe that it that Friday's here, Saturday's coming. There is a church picnic coming on Sunday, uh, just as a reminder of that, down at the Moose Point State Park. For those that are locale here to uh, to Moral and Belfast, and would love to spend some time with you. Uh, we'll eat some food, and we will uh, play some games, uh, have some conversations, some fellowship, and it uh, should be a good time for all. We are in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, uh, working our way through, uh, kind of on the home stretch here of this fantastic letter by the Apostle Paul. Uh, we began... Uh, few days ago, talking about the, the, the spiritual nature of the 
battles in which we fight, and then also uh, looking at the spiritual armor that Paul has encouraged his followers to put on and to wear. And so as we roll out of bed in the morning to think about, okay, I got to get my little slippers on my little feetsies, um, but be thinking about even more than your slippers to put on the, the gospel of peace, uh, to put on your helmet, to put on your breastplate of righteousness, to put on your belt, uh, and just to be ready for for the encounters that we will have. And I'm, I'm thinking about this this morning, getting up in the morning, and, and I don't know about you, sometimes you get up or, or you come through a day, had a very, very good day yesterday, very, very productive day uh, with the Timothy group uh, up in Bangor, uh, uh Timothy Group is helps ministries really think about how to uh, raise funds and uh, uh, how to encourage people to steward their finances for the kingdom of God. We're all called to stewardship. Learned all kinds of things yesterday I never knew. Uh, really good day, uh, but long day, and get home late last night. Uh, and ready to go again this morning, and then off to Bangor again today to finish out those uh, those meetings. And uh, uh, but think about what I need to put on spiritually. What do you need to put on spiritually? What is your discouragement factor today? And um, or, or what are the question factors that you have today that that could be an aspect of spiritual warfare that goes on? The, the enemy wanting to thwart you. Uh, the enemy wanting to discourage you, uh, the enemy wanting to distract you uh, from the main things. And uh, I know that can be the case with, with me, and I'm sure with you. And and it's just critical that we put on our armor. I, I believe that God has called me to the state of Maine uh, to, to be a difference maker. I've been here for 11, almost 12 years, and uh, there's so much work to be done in the state of Maine, and so much opportunity here in the state of Maine that it almost can become overwhelming. And that's where I, I kind of was this morning as I was getting out of bed and looking at our little cute little puppy dogs and, you know, getting my cup of first cup of coffee. I'm on to the second cup of coffee here this morning and thinking it's just almost overwhelming the amount of uh, opportunity, the amount of need. Uh, that there is, and uh, just how to how to focus, how to harness all that, uh, what God has given me to do, and what is what is my role in that? And, and I encourage you to ask, what is your role? Um, certainly, this teaching is a part of that role, but uh, you know, how do I need to focus in? Uh, and for you to think about the same thing, what is your focus? What is your role? And you know, what will I do that will yield the most fruit for the kingdom? So I just, you know, all of those things. Some of you, it's like uh, somebody said yesterday, I think it was yesterday, you know, their goal is just to get out of bed. If they can just get enough uh, gumption to get out of bed, that they'll, they'll, they'll find that successful. And, uh, uh, and I understand that. There are days that you just feel so discouraged. Even when, when you wake up, it's like, I don't even want to get up and get going. And uh, I know some people feel that way. And uh, uh, so I, I would encourage your prayer for me and for this ministry at Veracity Chapel. I'd encourage your prayer for the ministry uh, that uh, 
and I don't have a name for it, but just all the various networking that is taking place among churches, uh, that that would continue to strengthen and to grow uh, the ministry of New England Bible College and seminary that you would uh, you would pray. And I'm going to just throw this out there this morning. I don't talk about this much, but I, I've been very emboldened, you know, um, to, to think about even your resources and what your resources can do in the kingdom. Uh, certainly, uh, to continue doing what I do or to uh, expand what I do, and it takes resources to do. And uh, uh, so, and what we do as Veracity Chapel, it requires resources and the things that we want to do, the things that New England Bible College is seeking to do to uh, equip more and more people for gospel ministry in the state of Maine and beyond. Um, one of the best things we can do is say, I will partner, I will put my treasure there. And so you can go to the Veracity Chapel uh, website, veracitychapel.com backslash give and consider giving. I, I talked yesterday about giving to the Bene- uh, Benevolence Fund. That's something that you might consider doing. Uh, we're prepared, preparing to uh, help another individual out to, to as much as we can. And uh, so if, if that is an area, and some of you have already done that, and for those that, that are gracious and faithful uh, in, in giving uh, in those ways, uh, thank you uh, from, from our ministry. Uh, and uh, more importantly, it, it, it's the joy of the stewardship uh, of of the funds that God has given you and to see those used for the expanse of the kingdom, for the building up of other people. Uh, you can go to nabc.edu is another another place you can go. Uh, nabc.edu, uh, and you can make a financial gift there as well um, as we're working hard. Most of us are, are part-time, uh, giving a lot of energy and focus to uh, – partnering with churches and training people, equipping people, working with a variety of people in the state of Maine who want to make a difference for Christ as professors uh, and trying to direct and harness them uh, toward uh, how do we do that uh, most effectively and efficiently for the kingdom. This afternoon will be uh, after after meetings this morning, this afternoon back down to Morrill and Belfast area to meet with a few different sets of people from our own ministry here, uh, doing some discipleship and, and just meeting, wanting to encourage some people in, in their walk with Christ. So uh, much, much to do, uh, and uh, we all get to be a part and share of that. Now, the question is, how do we put on the full armor of God? You know, it's very interesting. Um, as we compare uh, Ephesians uh, chapter 6 with what Paul said over in Colossians chapter 3, if you've been a traveling along with us in these studies. We did cover the book of Colossians, and it talks about taking off the old man and putting on the new man. That was over in Colossians chapter 3. This parallels that, the idea of putting on the armor of God, putting on Christ. How do we put on Christ? How do we put, really, to put on the armor of God, to put on Christ? They're very, very similar uh, parallel tracks, parallel thoughts that Paul gives to the people in Colossae and then also to the people in Ephesus to put on Christ. How do we put on Christ? Well, we surrender ourselves to him first as our Savior and as our Lord. We surrender ourselves to the Spirit of God, asking the Spirit of God to fill us, to guide us, to direct us, 
uh, in our lives to empower us for godly service. We ask the Spirit of God to do those things. Uh, we take off the sinful stuff, the sinful nature of our lives. We we take that off, uh, and how do we take that off? By not doing those sinful things, by going along with the working of the Spirit. As he says, no, 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 don't do that. So we, we work with the Spirit in that way and take off the sinful nature, uh, and then we put on Christ. We, 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 we try to begin to emulate him. We, we are told in Ephesians 5 that we're to be imitators of Christ. Uh, the very first verse in in Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, so in those ways we put on Christ. How do we put on Christ? The word of God. Uh, it told us over in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So allowing the word of God to get into your life and and you live in that word of God. You, you allow the word of God to, to penetrate into your being uh, in, in the entirety of the word of God. As we had a conversation a few days ago about some who, who always seem to go to the same language all the time, uh, and you say, I don't see any of that language in, in any of these passages. Why do you always go back there? It's because they, they are locked into a certain theological way of thinking that might actually short-circuit out living out the Scriptures. We, we, as we read what we're going to read today, it's, it's how do we live out these things in our lives, and that was the question that was asked. Let me get us into the passage here before the day is gone. Uh, verse 10, I will reread this again. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I mean, we are wrestling with them. That is our battle. You know, someone said, well, you know, do, do I can, this was a few days ago, uh, you know, does Satan have full access to us? And does his, uh, does his cohort, do his colleagues, I would say based on verse 12, absolutely. Um, for our struggles, not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world. So, I mean, that in Paul's day, what he's saying here against those authorities, I mean, he was wrestling with wrestling against, and the church was wrestling against uh, the, the, the forces in the world, the political forces. Uh, I listened to a powerful message yesterday by John MacArthur talking about how the church is not called to. Uh, call out and call down and castigate those in ruling authority, even though we might struggle against them and their ways and their um, legislation may come against us. Our role is to pray for them. Our role is to point them to Christ. Our role is to make sure that we are about the kingdom first. Because as Paul says here in verse 12, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against those rulers, against those authorities, against those powers of this dark world. Uh, and then he says, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, the angels running around. The angels are, are running around, both the, the holy angels and the 
wicked angels doing their bidding, the holy angels doing their bidding on behalf of God, and as our ministering servants, we are told, and the wicked angels trying to thwart us in our growth, trying to thwart us in our followership of Christ. So then it goes on into verse 13 and says to us, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes. Now, what is this day of evil? This day of evil, I mean, it could be every day. Uh, it, it could be the things that, that would sidetrack us. It could be the things that would delay us. It would be the things that would uh, uh, defeat us. Uh, it would be the things that would cause us to fall away or to fall into uh, sin. And all sin is recoverable, not, not the sin, but the sinner is recoverable from the sin. But when the day of evil, it almost indicates a certain special day. There are some days that are more evil than others. But what do we need to do? We need to be able to stand our ground. And after we have done everything to stand. So we've already talked about the this aspect of putting on the armor of God. We're told a few different times and then throughout this passage to put on the full armor of God. So when the day of evil comes, you can stand your ground. Uh we talked yesterday about the belt of truth, a buckle around our waist, and it needs to be truth. What is the truth? Truth is God's word. So we bring things alongside of the word of God to determine just what it is that we need to do. The breastplate of righteousness, we are told to guard our hearts. Uh, that's Proverbs 4.23, to guard our hearts uh, because out of it, springs the well of life. Uh, our, our life flows from our heart. We need to protect our heart. When our, when our hearts are discouraged, uh, then we, we might feel defeated. So we need to be able to guard our hearts. And uh, so that's why we put on this breastplate of righteousness. What, what is the breastplate of righteousness? The righteousness of Christ. We talked yesterday about our feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. The feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Okay, we're putting on the gospel. We're wearing the gospel. We're putting on our feet the reminder of the peace that God calls us to have in our lives this morning. If you don't have peace, God wants you to have peace. God wants you to bring to him your uh, your anxiety. God wants you to bring to him your restlessness. God wants you to bring to him your confusion. Uh, God wants you to bring to him your weariness, that we would bring all of these things to God uh, so that we could, and in the gospel, knowing that Jesus gives us peace. My peace I give you, not as the world gives. My peace I give unto you, thinking of the last verse of John chapter 6. He gives us his peace. Now we pick up at verse 16, what we did not do yesterday. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extend all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now, just being reminded here for a moment uh, that the our adversary is trying to throw at us all kinds uh, of 
flaming arrows. Uh, and just want to look at some of my notes here to be uh, reminded of some of the things. I mean, I, I have several pages of notes here that uh, I want to uh, reference here. Um, the shield of faith. What was the Roman soldier made out of? I mean, you can picture Roman soldiers carrying shields. Sometimes they were made out of wood, covered with animal skin sometimes. Uh, and sometimes, uh, the, as they were covered with animal skins, they would be soaked in water. Uh, might think You might think that that would be kind of smelly. Maybe it would. I don't know. But why would they douse it in water so that if fiery arrows were shot at them, that fiery arrow would be extinguished? Um, a typical shield for the Roman that for that period would be about four feet long and about three feet wide, a decent size shield. Now, sometimes perhaps they were uh, of burnished metal, uh, but more often in that period they were wood. Uh, many times there would be iron maybe molded around the edges to strengthen it. Uh, leather strap or wooden handle was attached to the back by which the soldier could hold and and maneuver the shield during battle, holding it up. Uh, and uh, and then sometimes soldiers would come together, go shoulder to shoulder, and kind of interlock their shields together to form a protective barrier uh, by holding them together side by side in that way. Uh, and so they would protect the soldier. Yes, you already have on the breastplate of righteousness, but then in addition, be holding that shield in front of you uh, to protect yourself, and it was wide enough and high enough to kind of protect the, the most critical areas, like maybe from from your knees or your thighs uh, up over to maybe just the top of your head enough that you could still see or even coming up higher, a rather large shield to protect us uh, or to protect the, the Roman soldier in that way. Uh, our, ours is not uh, a shield of wood. Ours is not a shield of metal. Uh, ours is a shield of faith. Take up the shield of faith. Now, this is where we learn how to trust God. We learn how to bring our uh, our struggles to God. We, we learn how to say, God, I'm going to trust you in what I'm going through right now. Uh, we personally have been in the midst of, of some decent-sized decisions, and I'm eternally grateful for those coaching us in the midst of these and praying with us in the midst of some of these uh, decisions that we're making, but but looking with holding on to the shield of faith. Okay, Lord, it just seems like this is what we, we're going to trust you. And sometimes when you want something to happen, and this is where we get in trouble sometimes, we, 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 we throw the shield aside. The shield's in the way. We're not going to trust God we're going to press ahead and do our own thing. And you can see soldiers doing that. They throw off the shield and they run into the fray, run into the battle uh, only to be perhaps uh, taken out at the knees or or to be defeated on the battlefield. We need to maintain the shield of faith, continuing to trust in, in, in God, uh, continuing to believe in him for what he will do. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. 
It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live, I now live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That It's not going to be my flesh. It's going to be my faith. So he asked the question, what is faith? Well, faith is the substance. This is the definition the Bible itself provides in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith isn't doctrine. Uh, it isn't theology. It isn't fairy tale. It isn't myth. It isn't, it isn't a mystical, uh, fanciful hoping. No, faith is substance. What is the substance? The stu- substance is the truth of God. It is the evidence that God will work on our behalf. We look at the substance of the word of God. We look at the evidence of things that God has already done and say, I can trust God because of those things. I can trust God because of the word of God. I can trust God because I have seen God work in my life in the past, and I continue to see God working in my life even now. So faith is substance. Faith is evidence. Where does it come from? Uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 17, that says faith comes by hearing the word of God. So if you want your faith to be increased, you learn to listen to God's word. You, you look to God's word, you hear God's word, you practice God's word, you meditate on God's word, you castigate. To castigate means to chew. You chew upon God's word. You do all of those things. Uh, but the faith comes from this is what God says. This is what I'm going to do. This is the example. This is the model that I'm going to follow after is what I see in the word of God. So faith comes from God's word. How does one take up the shield of faith, you might ask? Um, by fixing our eyes on Jesus. All of our problems, all of our temptations, all of our circumstances, uh, fears, doubts, death, tragedy, setbacks, delays, all of these things, every imaginable evil that could come our way that will rage around us during the spiritual battle, we, we keep our eyes on Jesus. We keep looking to Jesus. Hebrews 12.2 says to look to Jesus, who is the, the author and the finisher of our faith. We unswervingly fix our eyes on Jesus. That That is the... That is the step that we take. That is the measure that we take in putting on the shield of faith, of, of carrying the shield of faith. And uh, what about you today? I hope that what we do uh, in this broadcast helps you to be able to, to live life to be able to overcome in the fray, to overcome in the battle. That, that is my hope. You know, for a Christian, the shield of faith needs to be regularly dipped in, in, in the water of God's word to be replenished, fully functional, so that we can put out the flaming arrows of the evil one. Um, he's going to tell you one thing, and you need to come right back and counter with God's word. That's what we see Jesus doing when you go back to Luke 4, Matthew chapter 4, you see the temptation accounts of Christ, and what you observe is Christ coming back 
to the adversary with the word of God and saying, this is what God's word says, and we would learn how to do the same thing. Um, so how do we apply it? I mean, how, how do we take up the shield of faith? If your, if your faith feels less confident than you wish it did, ask the Lord to increase it. We see that in Mark chapter 9, verse 24. We see that father who had the little boy who, who was possessed by the demon saying, Lord, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. In other words, Lord, increase my faith. And we should be asking God to increase our faith. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about this in particular application for, for what it is that God is calling us to do, uh, me in particular, or, or Wendy and I in particular, and to be trusting God for what God will do. Uh, we, we don't want to be fettered. We, we want to be free to, to serve the Lord, and uh, uh, there are things that, that just can tie you down, and uh, we want to be free in our, our service. Find verses that inspire you. Find verses that, 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 that cause you to have a sense of confidence in God and, and his, in his abilities. Set your faith in God's righteousness. Set your faith in God's word, not in the circumstances. The circumstances around you might look dire. They might look dark. They might look any number of things, but you set your faith in God's truth. The last piece that we have not gotten to yet, well, there are actually, actually two pieces, uh, it tells us then in verse 17 that we are to take the helmet of salvation. I'll just stop there because then the rest of the verse gets on to the very last piece. The helmet of salvation, the, the things that we've covered so far are all uh, defensive in nature. They're to help us defend against the evil one. But there there is one thing that will come up here in just a moment that speaks about something that is more offensive. The helmet of salvation, what, what it means. What is the helmet uh, of salvation? Well, the helmet of salvation uh, comes the moment we place our, our trust in Jesus' death and resurrection as payment for our sin. Uh, salvation is also worked out through the lengthy process of our sanctification. We, we don't work for our salvation. Uh, we don't gain our salvation in the things that we do. Uh, we gain our salvation by faith in Christ, but we demonstrate the reality of that salvation by continuing to grow in Christ to become more and more sanctified. The helmet of salvation, like the breastplate of righteousness, rests on the work of Christ to save us. The helmet of salvation, some wrestle all the time, I sinned again, I lost my salvation. You do not fall into and out of salvation. If you are truly saved, then you are saved. Even if you sin, you are still saved. You are still a child of God. You don't fall in and fall out and fall in and fall out like it's based on you. It is based on Christ. And that helmet of salvation that you wear is a helmet that protects your mind from the doubts that the evil one wants to throw into your mind. So the helmet of salvation does these things for you. Um, it involves us as we journey with the Lord and allow him to work that salvation into every part of our thoughts, that confidence that, that yes, I am saved because of what Jesus did for me. But 
It's interesting. The battlefield of the mind is the primary place that the spiritual battle is fought in the brain. Uh, And what we need to allow the Lord to do is to work his freeing truth into our perspectives that we would say, okay, mind, this is what you're telling me. Devil, this is what you're telling me, but this is what God says to me. I'm going to hold on to God's truth. How do we apply? How do we apply? Again, surrender our thoughts that don't line up with Scripture. Colossians chapter 3, verse 2 says to set your minds on things above, not on the earthly things. Uh, we are told in 2 Corinthians chapter, 5, chapter 10 and verse 5 that we're to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Every thought that is contradictory, every thought that, that, that causes us to stumble away from Christ, we take it captive and cast it before the Lord and say, I'm going to fix my eyes on God's truth. What else? Uh, we, we wash our mind with renewing of God's word. Uh, we are told that in back in Ephesians chapter 5, how, how Christ washes over his bride. Uh, do not conform to the pattern of this world, it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2 but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so we can test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So this is the the helmet of salvation that we put on. Uh, The helmet of salvation, uh, during the Roman period, the soldier's helmet was made out of bronze or out of iron. Uh, To make the helmet more comfortable, the soldier would cover his head or line his helmet with cloth. Uh, helmets would have a large strip of, of dyed horse hair uh, down the top center. Different colors of this hair distinguished the rank. Uh, the helmet usually covered part of the face and the back of the neck as well. The helmet prov- provided protection from head injuries and hand-to-hand combat and falling debris or in things being shot at you. Uh, how do we apply it? Well, first, our helmet is our salvation, to be assured of our salvation. You know, a correct identification of salvation. If some people try to put salvation on when it's religious practice, you're not going to have it. Some people try to put uh, the helmet of salvation on by good works. You're not going to get it. Some people try to put the helmet of salvation on by through church membership or being baptized or or having all kinds of biblical knowledge. But really, The only way to put on the the helmet of salvation is to make sure that you are truly saved. Salvation is found in Jesus. Salvation is found in faith in Christ. Acts 4.12 said, There is no salvation in any other, for there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved but the name of Jesus. Uh, Luke chapter 13, verses 3 and 5 says, Except you repent, you shall likewise perish. Repentance means to change our mind, to align ourselves with God. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If you confess your uh, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified with your mouth that you confess and are saved. We must make a personal profession of Christ as our Savior. But once you do that, the Spirit of God will witness to your spirit that you are, in fact, 
child of God. How the helmet of salvation helps in, in spiritual battle. It's a sign of his lordship, that we're, we're living under his lordship. It's a means to Christ's victory. First uh, Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57 says this, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. First uh, Corinthians 2.16 says, we have the mind of Christ. So taking on that mind of Christ uh, is what will help us to, um, to overcome the evil one. All of these so far defensive in nature. And a good question is asked, uh, Two questions. I mean, is it possible that the devil puts something in our mind and assume it's from God? Absolutely. How do we know if it's from God uh, or from the devil, uh, the Word of God? Uh, and listen, uh, it is not always going to be as crystal clear as we think. Great deception is hard to see, and uh, our enemy is the master deceiver. He is the master liar. Uh, he is the one who is able to uh, put things into our mind. Yes, he can do that. Um, if not, then how could he veil the minds of unbelievers and cause them to not see? We're, we're told that he does that. Uh, we're told about uh, the battle for the mind. We have, enough, we have issues with our own thoughts, but then Satan also likes to, to stimulate those thoughts and... Uh, what do we do? We look at the Word of God. How do we know if it's from the God or, or from God or from the devil? Uh, sometimes it's very, very, very hard to tell. Again, think of Jesus in uh, Matthew chapter four, Luke chapter four, kind of parallel sister, uh, synonymous passages, synchronous passages, synoptic passages, if you will, uh, and how Satan came at. Uh, Satan came at Jesus with Scripture, and Jesus came right back at him with Scripture. Uh, friends, this is not something that, that is just easy. It is something that uh, can be very, very difficult to distinguish at times. There are things that we think are so clear. And so people that are deceived, and we had some of these conversations on Wednesday, a few of us that gathered for prayer, uh, you know, to us it looks so evident, but some people who who we would look at as teaching wrong teaching, they don't even see it. They can't, they, it's not like they're thinking, oh, I'm giving these people bad teaching. <laughs> they don't even see that it's bad teaching oftentimes. And uh, uh, they, they think it's great teaching. Uh, because that is the theological world in which they have been uh, had their teeth cut. And uh, so sometimes they, they can't even tell, and it's hard to distinguish. Uh, question asked, does, does the devil know what we think? Well, that is certainly a very good question. I don't know that he knows what we think because he is not God. He is not all-knowing. Um, he is... Uh, But he, he can certainly suggest things. He can know our patterns. I mean, in some ways, could it, could it be true that the devil knows us better than we know ourselves? Certainly God does because God is all-knowing. Satan is not all-knowing. 
Satan does not have the ability to be completely everywhere present all the time. In other words, he's not omnipresent. He is not all-powerful, but he is quite powerful. And he is called um, called the prince of the power of the air. And he has incredible power. Uh, in, in fact, we're told in the scriptures that, that Satan and his uh, cohort uh, has the ability to even elect, uh, deceive the very elect. Uh, those chosen by God. I mean, it, it is it is an incredible battle which we fight. Um, I'm going to just read this this uh, word here over in the comments section. Uh, it says, uh, so important to have God's word in us. Years ago when my brother-in-law was in an ATV accident, we were called to the hospital as the doctors and nurses were working with him family waited in the waiting room. I needed to be alone with God, so I walked down the hall and sat in a corner and just talked with God. He told me uh, all things work together for the good of those who love him and trust him. At that moment, I knew my brother-in-law was, was going to die. Uh, I hung on to what God had spoken to me, and he helped me to be strong while walking through the time of grief along with my family. There's nothing that compares with hearing from God. And and, and what you heard from God was God's word, and that's why it's so important. Because that's what I mean. That, that my my application of that or uh, interpretation of that uh, is that the Holy Spirit bringing back to your minds the things that God has taught you. Because you begin in in the the comment here about it's so important to have God's word in us. Because that's what God is going to bring back to us. He's going to bring Scripture back to us. Uh, and I've had the same. Uh, Many times in my life, where you know, I, I is it God speaking directly? I don't know, but it's certainly the work of the Holy Spirit bringing God's word back to bear in my mind and giving me the assurance. I had a similar uh, situation when my sister died, and uh, it was a rather unusual passage of scripture. It was Romans chapter nine that speaks about the sovereignty of God and the elective work of God, and. And, and I found great solace in God's sovereignty, that knowing that if my sister was not saved, that the judge of the earth had done right. And Because I didn't know, I still don't know, I, I won't know it until eternity, whether she had ever bowed the knee to Christ. She had never done so as far as I know, but we, we hold on to this, the Bible. So, uh, and, and I think, I think, no, I, I don't know that I, I would be quite as tight in in the uh, the, the interpretation that, that it will always, always, always be Scripture. Uh, because, I mean, how do you know to start a business, as an example? How do you know if that is God's will? Uh, God doesn't tell you in his, in his word, go start this business. Uh, God doesn't tell you in his word necessarily, go make this decision or go make this purchase or go... But we look at the principles of Scripture, and out of the principles, the workings of the principle of Scripture, the promises of Scripture, the directives of Scripture, then we can we, we can begin to have a sense of God's leading in our life. Because there are lots of things that we do that the Bible doesn't, I mean, how, how do we know to buy a vehicle? You know, how do we know to buy a bicycle? How do we know that that's God's will? You know, he doesn't tell us in the Bible, but there are principles that, that we look at in the Scriptures that give us guidance uh, in these things. Now, I, I need to cover this last piece this morning before we get off this broadcast. 
So let me hit the last piece. The last piece is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, verse 17. That is the last piece of the armor of God that we carry. We wield a, a sword. What is the sword? Talk about the sword. The Roman soldier's sword was made of iron. It was two to three feet long. Uh, the blacksmith heated the iron and covered the red-hot iron with coal dust to strengthen the sword when cooled. And uh, the handle of the sword would usually be made out of many different materials, including wood or bone or ivory and iron. While the sword could be used for defense, it was actually designed to attack the enemy in hand-to-hand combat. Uh, a soldier would skillfully use the sword to defeat the enemy and protect others. So uh, a great resource is called The Armor of God by Rose Publishing. You can look that up uh, by, by Timothy Paul Jones if you wanted to research this a little bit further. The Bible clearly says it's the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. There are two Greek words that are translated word. Uh, one uh, is used less often in the New Testament. This is the word used in Ephesians 6, 17. So the, the one is logos. Some would say logos. Some will say logos. I say uh, it is logos. Um, it's the most common Greek word that's, that we find for word, but then there is rhema, uh, another Greek word. This is where we are so limited in our understanding because uh, some of the words that we translate into English, uh, we're, we're limited in how we translate because they have two words for word, logos and rhema. Uh, the word here could actually be translated as the sayings of God. So while the enemy, uh, well, the Bible in its entirety is the sword of spirit, there are many sayings of God which give wisdom, direction, answers, understanding that speak to our hearts in very personal and specific ways. Um, so in, in some senses, the Bible is not just a sword, but an arsenal of swords which are available. I mean, you pull out a promise here, you pull out a precept there, uh, you pull out a principle there in, in different types of swords, different types of applications of the Word of God for us. Uh, and if you will, there is a rhema, a word of God or saying for every spiritual battle. So when Satan attacked Christ in the wilderness, which I've already referenced, Jesus used the sword of the Spirit each time. Uh, he used a different rhema, a different saying for each encounter, a description Sword of the Spirit, uh, Hebrews 4.12 says, The Word of God is quick, it is powerful, it is sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing of the soul and spirit of joints and marrow, is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It says that the, the Word of God is living, it's alive. No other book can claim this. Uh, it, it, is, it is more than just a book. It says it is powerful. It says it is sharp. It says it's able to divide. It says it's able to discern. It, all these things are true of the Word of God. How do we put it on? Well, we put on the sword of the Spirit by studying the Scriptures. We read it. We study it. We memorize it. We saturate our, our lives with its teaching and the preaching of the Word of God. Um, we saturate our, our lives, it says, uh, in 
the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 18, verses, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 11, verses 18 and 19, you shall impress these words of mine on your heart and on your soul, bind them as a sign on your hand. They'll be on the frontals of your forehead. You teach them to your sons, talking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you rise up. The sword is not something we pick up on Sunday for religious services. It's something that we need to carry with us each and every day. So we we hold on to the Word of God each and every day. Uh, and sometimes what we do is is we just we'll just take it for Sunday. You know, I there are some people that I know that. Uh, you know, making a decision that they'll turn to the Bible. There, there are people I know that have these little holsters, you know, almost like a pistol holster, but it's a sword holster and it's a holster for a Bible that they carry on their hip. Uh, you know, that's kind of hip with with uh, some of the Calvary Chapel folks, especially up in Orrington, to have that Bible. But to think about, do I always have my sword with me now with our cell phones these days? We can always have our sword with us. Um. So to carry the sword, to carry the word of God, we have been given all of these tools, all of these resources to help us win the battle. So friends, may we today put on the full armor of God so that uh, so that we can win the battle. So, and friends, you need to know that sometimes the battle is going to leave you charred and battered and bruised and bloodied and dirty. But if you stand with God, you will stand. God's promise to you. Well, we've been kind of long this morning, so I'm going to pray you into your day. And uh, Lord, I pray today you help all of us to, uh, to draw close to you. Help all of us to put on our, our, our armor. Help all of us to walk in step with the Spirit. Help us to honor and to glorify you today. Help us to be victorious in the battle through Christ today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, I'm going to let you get into your day. Have a great day. Uh, just a reminder again, we do have that uh, church picnic on Sunday. Bring your favorite board game. Well, we're going to have some beanbag toss there. Uh, bring bring some meat if you want to have some meat. Bring this to share. Uh, and plan to hang out after church on Sunday down at Moose Point State Park Sunday afternoon. Have a great day, everyone. We'll see you this weekend.